Hello, this is Nathan Ray, and this is Matthew Karchner. That's how you pronounce your last name? Yes. Karchner. Okay, so how do we know each other? I've written a couple of books and am on a thing called Podmatch, a website to connect with interviewers to promote the books. And so you reached out to me, you asked if you could be on the show, and I said yes. Yes. Other than that, we know very little about each other. I had the chance to read some posts on your blog. And so I got the chance to know you through that avenue. But it's not like we've had a face-to-face -face conversation, hangout, shooting pool, that kind of thing. No. No. <laughs> so before we delve into the main topic, if I might ask, how has God been working in your life lately? Like within the last week or so? I think overall to build patience through trial, to trust him no matter how difficult life gets and how confusing things may be. And right now I'm kind of in the middle of a bit of a trial and just learning to trust him to work things out. Romans eight twenty eight. Yeah. Do you want to go into specifics as to what that trial entails? Or is it something that you would want to keep a private matter? Private for now, I think I'll be more prepared to talk about it in the coming months. Okay. For myself, speaking about my own life, I'm going to go in a little more detail. To be honest, it's felt like in the last week, God hasn't really been present. In fact, I would say there have been times where I feel like I've been drifting away from God. I've been trying to arrange a trip down to Calgary, Alberta. I live over in Edmonton. I'm trying to arrange all the details for going down to Calgary. I thought that someone was going to be able to put me up for the time that I was down there for a week. And eventually I just had to throw in the towel and rent out an Airbnb because no one I knew was willing to put me up. And so you can look at a situation like that and say, God wasn't working you had to do this on your own. You weren't able to rely in any way on God. And that's the general feeling that I've had throughout this week is that God isn't present. I've had to do things on my own. And sometimes it hasn't really worked out well for me, with the exception of one particular instance. So this Sunday, I was at church. My church has two services. One's at 9 a.m. The other's at 11.30 a.m. And I had to attend both services because I was volunteering with the tech team at the time. First service went as perfectly on schedule as it could be. The second service ended up getting derailed from a normal service into something of a testimony service. And I noticed that for one of the people who was giving their testimonies, I had never seen them in person before, but I knew exactly who they were. She was an activist who was part of the freedom movement over here in Alberta. I had another activist friend mention her to me, and I figured, okay, I'll start following her. I'll see what she's up to, and if she's promoting any events here in Edmonton, then I can see if I can go and attend them. But afterwards, listening to the testimony that she gave and connecting all the dots, I was able to, in the aftermath of the service, go up to her and I was able to give her a word of encouragement, sort of a, a word of prophecy, I guess you could say. I kind of want to keep the details private on my own end, 
because it's something that hasn't quite paid off yet. But it's interesting that this woman who came to a church where not only did you have a member who knew exactly who she was, but exactly what she was going through. And just the idea that I knew that God was leading me to give this word of encouragement to her. That was something that I felt like, wow, this isn't something that happens often enough in my own life. But the fact that it is happening right now is actually pretty awesome. Sometimes when it seems like he's not there, I find that he's trying to grow us to allow us to go through some obstacles and challenges to grow us in our faith. And I think that particular instance, it definitely stood out. And it's definitely something that is helping me to grow in my own faith. But if we might transition to the main topic at hand and get into a little bit of controversy here, when you reached out to me, your profile stated that you were an ex-gay missionary and writer. And I think for myself, I know plenty of people in the homosexual community. I know people who've described themselves as homosexual in the past, but who've moved on from that kind of mindset and lifestyle. But I've never really had anyone like that on the show. And so when you're describing yourself as an ex-gay missionary, what exactly do you mean by that? What came first, your faith or your sexuality? The foundation for faith came first. I think that's the easiest way to put it. I, I grew up in a Christian home and youth group in Christian school, memorizing scripture, good, solid Christian foundation. I saw the Lord work in, in our family during times of crisis. And I followed my deceitful heart. The Bible talks about Jeremiah 17, 9, that the heart is deceitful above all things. Our hearts are not good indicators of what's right and wrong. We're fallen creations. And so I followed that strange desire, attraction to the same sex, and had a pretty interesting time. It was curious. I was curious in the beginning and went out in, into a gay lifestyle when I lived in a city, originally from a small town. So when I got to the city and didn't know anybody, nobody knew me, got drunk for the first time and already had an addiction to pornography and just began to go out gradually and take baby steps and bigger steps toward that. So uh, the Genuine, what you would call saving faith, really came, though, when the Lord brought me to my knees in repentance. So I, I went so far into that lifestyle and got so addicted. At the end of it all, I believed lies going into it about who I was and had a false identity and really bought into that. Believed there was a knight in shining armor somewhere out there for me and, and realized over time that that was a lie. I had been deceived. And so the Lord brought me to my knees in repentance 11 years ago because there was no way out. I couldn't get myself out of the addiction. I needed supernatural power. So I gave my life to the Lord Jesus Christ 11 years ago on bended knee. I prayed the sinner's prayer, I remembered as a kid. And that was really because I wanted to live another day. It wasn't because I wanted to be a good person or change my identity or political affiliation or something. I, I really just wanted to get to tomorrow because my friends were committing suicide and overdosing. And I was in the hospital. I was drinking myself to death and cocaine, heart palpitations and internal bleeding from stomach ulcers. I was just a wreck. So praise the Lord for second chance. All right. Before I go into the more heavy aspects of that lifestyle, what exactly happened in your life to make you believe that you were gay? Really physiological. The, the fact that I was aroused when I looked at a naked man, that's how it was. It was a very simple lust. I think other people feel more emotional attachment or whatnot. But for me, it was a matter of 
I am attracted to this and I'm not attracted to this. Like it wasn't a matter for me, like I'm attracted to the girls, but I've chosen to be attracted to the boys. It wasn't like two separate attractions. It was one attraction to the boys, none to the girls, basically. I mean, no, nothing significant. It was like a friend kind of attraction, but nothing beyond that. Okay. When you say that you were aroused by the sight of naked men, was this coming from pornography? Was this coming from you going to a swimming pool and just seeing men change in the locker room? Or what exactly spurred that? Well, at the time when I was at puberty, I just started to feel a strange desire, strange feeling like I'm different from the other kids. I'm meek and gentle. The other boys want to play sports and wrestle. I wasn't interested in that. I felt like I couldn't compare my masculinity didn't compare to the other boys. So I felt inadequate and kind of went into myself and avoided opportunities to play sports. And, and the more that I got older in my teens, the, the more I would see like an underwear catalog, for example, something like that. That was kind of the beginning of the dabbling into pornography, something on TV. Like I was born in 1978. So this kind of dates me, but it was Buck Rogers was a big thing on TV back then. So he had his shirt off in the one thing I remember probably 1987, 88, something like that. So things like that in passing, it was like, I'm attracted to that. And I don't know why, you know, something was broken there. Did you ever look at yourself and think, wow, like I have the exact genitalia that makes me look attractive to myself? I personally, I, and I've heard a, another pastor, John Piper has preached like this before, that at the core, homosexuality is idolatry, right? Romans chapter one talks about the exchange, the truth of God for a lie and worship the creature rather than the creator. So in my case, I feel that I was worshiping myself, a creature created by God. So I made an idol of myself, tried to glorify myself. I was 20 years old when I went to the city, 22 years old. I was young and attractive. So I would go to the gay bar, get a drink and walk across and almost like a woman, like a woman goes to a bar and looks to see who's watching and that kind of stuff. So it was about self-glorification, very much like Satan wants to be exalted. You mentioned that you grew up in a Christian home. I'm assuming that if you heard anything about homosexuality within your church, assuming it was being preached at all, it was probably preached in a very negative light. How did that make you feel? Now, I was from a small town in Pennsylvania, kind of an old coal mining town. And the way that it was handled in the 1980s would be different from, I've been back there recently and spent some time there during COVID because we couldn't get back to the to Cambodia. And during that time, I kind of experienced through conversations with folks and what their kids are going through at school and things like that. I saw that thing, times have changed and had some opportunity to witness to folks in, in Walmart and places like that and saw that things have definitely changed. But when I was growing up, 1980s, it was a case in a small town of if we can't understand it and don't know how to cope with it, let's brush it under the rug. So that was how it was. There wasn't a lot of preaching directed toward homosexuality. It was more of a case of pretending it didn't exist because we don't know what to do with it. And it was awkward for everybody. I mean, I, in a small town, you're wondering what will the neighbors think and the other people in church. The church people probably are a little bit aware that I was soft or that something was unusual, but how are they going to say something? And it's awkward for everybody involved. I think 
Now it's a little more open. There can be a good side to that. At least it's easier to address if somebody's willing to admit to it at an earlier age, easier to maybe have a conversation about. But at that time, it was not spoken of. Which is interesting because if this was happening during the 80s, then the AIDS crisis would have been on everyone's minds. And all of the connotations and the connections with the homosexual community probably would have been at the forefront of the news, right? Had I been in New York City or somewhere, I'm sure I would have been probably more likely to be open about it. But where I was, it was not acceptable. That's interesting. I also think like it's interesting because I have uh, a friend in his 60s. He grew up in the States, moved to Canada, and he's spoken quite a lot to me about the amount of homophobia that's been present in churches in the past and in the present and how much damage it's done for people to want to come to church and want to be part of the Christian body. And while I don't agree with him on everything about this, I do think that for the most part, the church hasn't really done a good job in the past of actually addressing this issue in a way that's productive and healthy. But while I don't think your church would have done that either, I also think that it's interesting that you were in a sense, you seem to be in this protective bubble where you kind of didn't know who you were. You didn't know what you were supposed to be doing with your life. But at the same time, within your church, no one was browbeating you or literally beating you because of your sexuality. And so that is something that I could see as like a blessing in disguise. Yeah, now in the in the small town cultural environment, like school and things, yes, bullying was a big thing. Faggot, 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 all that kind of stuff was very, very prominent because it was just absolutely not acceptable. But I think the notion that someone would actually live a full-blown gay lifestyle was kind of out of sight, out of mind. Like there, it wasn't really seen in my small town. So it, Interestingly, I think when we talk about the church handling homosexuality, I think we have a tendency to think, well, if you're saying that the church should reach out to the LGBT and that the church should be welcoming to LGBT, and then you're probably, I deduce from that, I think people naturally deduce, well, then you're probably saying, water down the gospel, pretend like homosexuality isn't really all that bad and not a real big deal and maybe don't talk about repentance and don't mention hell because it might be offensive so let's just talk about god is love and has a purpose for everybody we're all created in his image and then we'll just trust the lord to somehow work through the side door to get the truth to them and that's not at all what i'm saying (laughs) i'm saying opposite 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 of that because the truth is what sets us free i think it does everybody a disservice if we cling to some kind of fable about God just wants everybody to be happy and be a good person and blah, blah, blah. That's not what the Bible says. That's not the gospel. The gospel is God created everything perfectly. We sinned against our creator. And now we're fallen creations with deceitful hearts that can't be trusted. The Bible is the absolute truth for everyone across every culture and every identity and false identity. And we must submit to it, right? We must repent, put our faith and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. He's the only way to heaven. Isn't there a a verse in the Bible, though, that says that God's will is that everyone be reconciled to him? That none would perish, that all would come to repentance. Yes. Big word, repentance, which is turning away from following the world and people and 
movements and my deceitful heart in Hollywood to follow the Lord Jesus Christ according to the inspired and errant word of God. That's what repentance is. It's a change of heart or a change of mind that brings a change of heart or change of action. And without that repentance, then we can't actually be reconciled to God. Yeah, there's a barrier of sin between us and the Lord. So how long did you identify as a homosexual and what caused you to break away from that label? I mentioned kind of stepping out into kind of baby steps toward pornography and bigger steps and more extreme pornography. Then I went to the city and finally got drunk for the first time. That wasn't until I was about 21. And so I didn't actually go out into the gay bars and live openly gay until like 23, 24. And which sounds kind of old for most folks, but that's when I really went out into it. And when I finally did, I think a lot of the pressure that I felt kind of internally was that Satan kind of works like you're running out of time. Your younger years are almost over. If you're going to do it, you better do it now. It's, you know, you have that curiosity. So you feel like you should go for it while you have the chance. And then once, once he gets you out there, once you follow that deceitful heart and that desire, it's very, very difficult to come back through the door. So that's how it was for me when I finally took the plunge and was with another man. Then it was like this mound of guilt. Like now I've gone too far. Now I can't come back. Like who am I now and, and what do I do and how oh you feel dirty and, and all that. So I went out further into it and I would drink my way and, and kind of forget that the last thing happened and then wait a couple of weeks and do it again and try to convince kind of be in denial like that didn't really happen Ugh! and then do it again. And, and eventually I just came out into the gay life and told my friends and eventually told my family later on, I became very belligerent. Like, if you don't like it, then to heck with you kind of thing. And very angry toward my family. F you on the phone to my mom in the middle of the night, drunk and things like that. Made it very difficult for them to be close to me. So long story short, I probably was in the life for about 10 years, 20, 23 to 30, let's say eight to 10 years, early 30s when the Lord called me to repentance. And that was essentially reminding me of end times prophecy, that there will be earthquakes in diverse places and pestilences and the different prophecies and interpretations of end times prophecy that I learned as a kid. And just seeing 9-11 happen and knowing that that's the Lord bringing judgment on my country and I'm not ready to meet him. And I was in poor health at the time, really beating myself up and really in self-destruct mode. And I knew I wasn't ready to meet him. So it was really fear of judgment. It wasn't God's love. Maybe for some people it would be, but it wasn't God's love that brought me back. It was the fear of God, the fear of the wrath of God. And that's why I repented. And he gave me immediate peace and new life, the peace that passes understanding, the joy that comes from knowing him. That strange feeling didn't go away. A lot of people want to hear that that went away and it didn't go away. We're fallen creations. We repent, put our faith and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, and we become works in progress. And he continues to conform us to his image, right, as we follow him by the indwelling power of the Holy Spirit. So some people have testimonies that he's completely taken away their homosexual desire. For me, that's not my story. And I'd rather be honest about it than tell what everybody seems to want to hear. So praise the Lord for the power to move forward in, in him. He gives us the power through the indwelling Holy Spirit, and we fight forward. Paul said, I die daily to self to live for him, right? So every, every Christian on earth, even the ones that look all cleaned up, have a sin struggle, have a temptation that they're wrestling with. So I think that's the, 
part of the silver bullet when we're reaching out to the LGBT is to remind ourselves where we came from. For all have sinned and fall short and that none of us is a finished work yet. Even though maybe we're all believers going out to witness to the LGBT, we can remind ourselves on the way that for all have sinned and fall short and he'll finish the work that he began until the day of Christ. So we're not finished works either and that should give us a humble spirit to be able to engage the LGBT and call them to repentance. When you said earlier that you were belligerent towards your parents and other family members, was it because you felt like they were acting in a way that was homophobic towards you? Or was that just the way that your mind was heading? No, not homophobic necessarily. It was more that I was convinced that everybody had to accept my lifestyle or else. And I had no idea that it was Satan working through me because my family, in order to endorse my lifestyle, my family had to turn their back on the word of God, right? They either had to tear pages out or water it down or throw it away completely. Say, you know what, because you feel like this and we love you, maybe God changed his mind or times have changed or something happened. We're just going to hug and kiss you and forget about the Lord. And that's what they would have had to do if, if I got my way. And so they weren't willing to do that. The Bible says, remember the Lord said, he who loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And so they, they really put the Lord first. And at, at the end, ultimately, it was choosing me because the Lord came in and, and I believe in response to their obedience in part, they went to war and prayer and fasting and they stood on the difficult truth, even though it hurt like crazy. They stood on the difficult truth of the word of God and they would not budge. We love you, but this is what the Bible says and we can't change it. We're not the Lord, so we can't go back and revise what he wrote. When you were talking earlier about how you were in the hospital, you were probably on the verge of death. You knew friends of yours who were dying of suicide and drug overdoses. What exactly was going on in their lives that would cause something like that? I think what we don't say enough, what we don't address enough in church circles these days is that the homosexual identity is a false identity. The gay identity is not real. God created man and woman. She's created to be his helpmate, right? And the two are to become one flesh, and there's no gay identity that the Lord created. That throughout Scripture, homosexuality is condemned as sin. So there's no gay identity, and the Lord creates us, and, and it's set up a certain way. And so you have husband and wife, and she was created to be his helpmate, and the, the two are to become one flesh. And Satan comes in, that's Genesis chapter 1, chapter 2. Satan comes in, Genesis chapter 3 already, tries to, to reverse the roles and twist things and deceive. And we become fallen creations. And his goal is to distort what the Lord created, to destroy the order of the family and the order of the way things are to be in the Lord's creation. So that's where we are now. This is It's a demonic thing. So the people that I knew that were... I, I hate to, to mention specifics about people, but there are very specific demonic things to where, where the enemy, often it starts as kind of depression and, and that sort of thing. And people think that it's just a medical condition. And then that drives someone maybe to want to drink more or pop pills or get a prescription to get on something that's legal medication. And the enemy can work from there. So um, 
It's deception. He comes to steal, kill, and destroy. And we need to repent, put our faith and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, not trust in the medical community, people with PhDs. We really have to trust our creator. He's the one who created us. It's kind of like taking the car back to the mechanic, right? Back to the, the manufacturer is much better than taking the car back to some other guy who doesn't know anything about it. So we're, we're much better in the arms of the Lord, the great physician. I ended up in the, in the hospital several times, like three, three, four, five times maybe, where I would wake up and somebody told me at one time I had fallen and hit my head, I had a concussion, and there was kind of a helmet type of a thing on my head, and they would tell me stories about what happened. I was just so far out of control, just destroying myself. And um, when the Lord delivered me, there were situations that happened where I was very much made aware that it was demonic. The, the power that was over me in my past life was demonic. It wasn't just medical condition or diagnosis or depression or something like that. It was of the enemy to steal, kill, and destroy. Where do you think the queer community as a whole falls in terms of moral alignment? Obviously, you're saying that it's demonic. But at the same time, I also know that there are, are plenty of queer people out there who they're living fairly normal lives. They have jobs, they have families. The only thing that seems to be different about them is that they're engaged in a same-sex relationship. And so are they in danger of falling into more demonic behavior, more demonic situations, or are they at the edge I was in a gay bar with my boyfriend at the time, actually, years and years ago in Boston, Massachusetts. And he said, oh, my goodness. Oh, my goodness. Look at that couple over there. Oh, they're so cute. They're so cute. It was two men and they were probably in their 60s, maybe 70s. And he was saying that they were cute. And at the time, I was already so, so irritated and so fed up with the gay world. And I thought, this is all just a lie. Like every everything that I believed coming into this as a bright eyed and bushy tailed 20 something has been proven wrong. It's, it's just a farce. And so I'm living the gay lifestyle myself, but I'm already starting to realize the Lord's starting to open my eyes over time. This is just a mess. And this is not it's like a fantasy. So I said, wait a minute. And I walked over to those guys and sat down with them. And it was no more than two, three, four, five minutes till they were hitting on me and inviting me back for three-way sex, talking about the one frequency, the bathhouse, which is like a, a sex, you know, most cities, especially back in the day, have what they call a bathhouse for kind of group sex where men would meet when, when it wasn't so acceptable by society. And so the bottom line is that's just one case in point. I don't buy the facade. I've lived it. I know it's from a perspective of somebody who's never lived that lifestyle. I can see how it can be deceitful. I don't believe that someone has enduring fulfillment, peace, and satisfaction living in a sinful lifestyle, regardless of what it is, homosexuality or gossip or lying or whatever, if we don't have the Holy Spirit of Christ, the, the Spirit of Christ in our hearts, we're not born again. We don't have enduring satisfaction and fulfillment. He's the bread of life. He's the only way to, to the peace that passes understanding and enduring satisfaction and fulfillment. So I don't buy that. But if it were true that so many people were happy and Ellen DeGeneres and that sort of thing, where we have a, a life partner of the same sex, and have a wonderful life, the Bible guarantees we go to hell at the end of it. So it's really not about 
we like to focus on the here and now and what's happening right now and everybody should be happy because that's what Hollywood says the point of life and the goal of life is to be happy but life is fast I feel like I was 20 yesterday I'm already 43 you know it, it goes fast so life is but a vapor the Bible says and so what happens then why do we focus so much on this little vapor this little flash of time we should be focused on getting ready to meet the Lord serving him calling other people to repentance knowing that our friends that don't know him are bound for hell for eternity not temporarily but for forever everlasting hell i take it that you're not an annihilationist i think in my own life the way that i've been able to observe this practice i remember three years ago summer of 2018 I was attending the Edmonton Pride Parade in order to hang out with some friends. And as people were marching in the parade, at the front, there was this group of protesters that stopped the parade, held it up for like an hour. And the reason why they were doing this was because the police were marching in the parade as allies. And according to these protesters, that was just unacceptable. And I remember just looking at them, looking at the way that they were acting and just thinking to myself, well, this is just a little bit childish. And then in the aftermath of that event happening, since then, Edmonton hasn't had a pride parade. And granted, most of that is because of COVID, but also it's funny to just think about the reason why we don't have this event anymore is more because of the activists than because of some Christian fundamentalist group that tried to get it shut down. And I kind of feel like within that crowd of people, 80 to 90% of the people who were in attendance just wanted to enjoy the parade. They wanted to have a fun day out with their family but there is just a very concerted minority, it seems, of people who cannot let go of the past, who feel the need to continue fighting, who feel the need that the struggle that we're in, it's never going to be over. And because of that, we can never really be happy until we experience true justice, which is, to be honest, it's, it's not going to happen. You're talking about Canada, but I'll talk about the U.S. So there's kind of like two things come up when you mention that example. Let's say that it happened in Pittsburgh or Philadelphia or something. Then there's kind of like the political side of it and then the evangelism side of it, right? Although the U.S. has not done many things right, right? We live on earth and everything's imperfect here and many errors have been made, but it was originally formed as a Christian nation to worship the Lord Jesus Christ. So since then, we've turned away from him and taken the glory, all the blessing for ourselves. Like, look what we've done and how strong we are and, and have taken the Bible out of schools and prayer out of schools. And now the kids go to school and get shot in the schoolyard and things like that. So there's a, from the kind of government side of it, the reason that people get so frustrated and so angry and take a stand is you're bringing the Lord's judgment on our nation. We were formed as a Christian nation. Look how far we've gone. Uh, one pastor said, if the Lord excused, if the Lord pardoned America, he would have to apologize for Sodom and Gomorrah. You get what I'm saying? So it's true that we continue to endorse and approve massive amounts of sin in the country and go out and dance in the street with them. 
then we're bringing the wrath of God on our nation. So we shouldn't be doing that. The Bible says a friend of the world is an enemy of God, right? So we shouldn't be out there dancing with them in their sin to celebrate or approve or endorse or attending gay weddings or anything else. But the other side of it you're talking about is evangelism. I think that might be what you're alluding to. I'm not sure when you would go to a gay pride thing. Some Christian, some ex-gay ministries go to gay pride events and that sort of thing, kind of try to witness and pray with folks on the side and just seek the Lord for who might be open to hear the gospel. So there are two separate issues going on there. Yeah. Speaking from my own motivation, the reason why I was attending the pride parade was A, I wanted to be able to hang out with my friends who were there and B, I wanted to be able to observe the culture in action and just take notes for myself. I don't necessarily feel comfortable putting myself out there and talking with random strangers about the gospel and explain to them why they need it. Even this conversation right now, it's, it's a bit of a stretch for me because it's like, oh crap, I'm talking to someone I don't know who's in his 40s, who's way older than me. Where's this conversation going? But I do know of other people who have done such things. And I also know that they don't really get welcomed all that often within the pride parades. Bless, bless their souls, in all honesty. They're doing what's right. But at the same time, I also feel like there's a lot of polarity between Christianity and the gay community to the point where if you are going to be able to reach out to the gay community, then it has to be God loves you, God cares about you. Because if you do mention things like God's going to judge you, God's going to send you to hell if you're not aligned with him, then the automatic response is going to be, well, screw you, you're just another homophobic asshole, right? I have a lot of compassion for the church, for people within the church who have never been in a gay lifestyle themselves, and they want to, they have a heart to reach out to the LGBT, because it's very, very challenging for me, even with my own testimony coming out of that lifestyle, knowing what it's like to feel like them. It's still like a Mount Everest for me to go out and try to witness to them. But the Lord leads in a relational kind of way in my situation. Typically, it starts out like I'm in a different country now, right? In Cambodia. So I stick out like a sore thumb. And so go in and talk to somebody in the market. The Lord leads to somebody in a coffee shop. Why are you here is generally question number one or two or three. And that's how the Lord opens the door because I wouldn't be here apart from him. I would not be here just looking around. I'm here to witness for Christ. I'm here as a missionary. So it's a direct lead into the, to what the Lord's done for me. And then from there, if they're still open, then I'm kind of sharing it from my personal perspective. I was a horrible sinner before. I, I drank a lot of alcohol. And it depends on the person who I'm sharing with and what they're into and what I might share on the first time through. But then if they're open to it, then say, God created us. We sinned against him. And Jesus came to die on the cross for our sins. He's the son of God and rose again. We must repent, put our faith and trust in him. So then it's more like we, it's not you, it's we, right? Like I'm the example of somebody who made a mess of my life and is a horrible sinner and repented. And Jesus gave me peace in my heart and new life. He can do the same for you. I think that's how the Lord can lead in. I'm sure there's some testimony that you have that would maybe you felt inadequate in some situation that appeals or relates somehow to the LGBT. I don't know. 
I think if I have anything that relates as a testimony to the LGBT community, it's that I'm someone who has high-functioning autism. And so I have an inherent condition that makes me act a certain way, sometimes in a very inappropriate way. And sometimes it's in a way that I'm not really aware of. I can't always control it. Sometimes I have this realization in the aftermath of performing a certain action of just like, oh, okay, what I did was wrong. And what I need to do is to go and make amends, to repent, to try and make things right. I would never ever say that my identity as an autistic person takes first preference. I'm not going to lean into my autism as a way to define me as who I am of like, oh, because I'm autistic and because I'm socially awkward, then that means I have to be socially awkward all the time. If I'm not socially awkward, then that's not really a true representation of what it means to be autistic. Praise the Lord. Yeah. I know that when I die and go to heaven, in all likelihood, I'll probably have this condition removed and I'll probably be a quote-unquote normal person. (laughs) I've heard interesting testimonies from people who claim that they've been healed of autism, but I'm not really someone who wants this part of me to be removed, if I'm totally honest. It's caused a lot of pain and awkwardness in my life, but it's also helped me to think in a way that's different than most other people, or that's what others keep telling me. And I think that as long as I do have this condition, I'm going to be able to present my ideas and worldviews in a way that's going to be different and compelling for other people, wherever I meet. Praise the Lord. That's a good testimony. And I think for yourself and for other people that I've encountered, perhaps being gay is the same thing. Whether you've embraced it as part of your lifestyle and you're like, I need to have anal sex twice a day. Otherwise, I'm, I'm not really living it up. Or you're someone who's having conflicting feelings of, I'm trying to pursue being straight and living a life that's in favor with God, while also at the same time struggling with same-sex attraction, to being completely removed from that mindset and just going full on with whatever God has intended for you. I think there's the potential for me to be able to relate to others like that because of what I have. Amen. My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. You know that scripture? Yeah. So powerful to be able to share that as your testimony can really, the Lord can really use that. Thank you for sharing. You're welcome. Taking the focus off of us. How do you feel like the church has been doing in terms of effectively reaching out to the queer community, as well as teaching its members about what the queer community is all about? We covered a little bit before about how I I think that when somebody says, I think the church should welcome the gay community, then the usual deduction is should water down the gospel and not tell the full truth. And I already made clear that I'm not for that. So we should share the full counsel of God or else we're doing everybody a disservice. That being said, I think it's one of those things. And I mentioned too before that I have compassion for the church who has a heart to reach out to the LGBT because it's tough for me, even with my testimony coming from that world and understanding folks to a degree. 
Yeah, I think there could be more awareness when I've gone around to different churches by the Lord's grace, the Lord's open doors to get in and share testimony in a number of churches. And the one thing that I usually say is another thing I hit on that we just need to remember where we came from, that for all have sinned and fall short and nobody's a finished work. So every Christian struggles with some kind of temptation towards some kind of sin, whether it's gossip or lying or whatever. I, I use the, the example, like maybe somebody struggled with lying in their past life and they were a compulsive liar, you could say, and then they repent, put their faith and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. They're born again. And five years later, maybe they still struggle. Maybe they still wake up in the morning and think, oh, when I go to work today, it'll be so much easier to tell a lie than it will the truth about this project I'm on or whatever. And that doesn't mean that the person's a liar just because they struggle with that temptation. They're not following it anymore, right? So we wouldn't say that's a liar, not a liar. It's just somebody who's struggling with that temptation. The Bible says even Christ was tempted yet without sin. So the temptation is not the sin. It's when we follow that temptation. And First John says that those who know the Lord Jesus Christ who've been born again will not continue in a pattern of sin, right? We might have a little struggle with it, or somebody might go back for, you know, step back for a moment or something, but not continue in a pattern of sin for the long term. So I hope that answers your question. I think we need as a church to remember where we came from, that for all have sinned and fall short, that none of us is a finished work. And I think there needs to be a greater awareness. When I share my testimony, I try to make clear that Our hearts are deceitful above all things and desperately wicked, back to that verse. And that feeling, that strange desire can be pretty intense. It's not just a small thing. It can be pretty life-consuming, especially if you take steps to follow it. Maybe in your younger years, it can become pretty life-consuming and pretty overwhelmingly deceitful. So somebody might be struggling. It's, It's difficult to really step into somebody else's shoes and think, well, why doesn't he we're standing here looking at somebody else who's struggling. We think, why doesn't he just get married to a woman? Or why doesn't he just be straight or whatever? But we don't really know how overwhelming that can be. So we need to have compassion for folks and a little patience and speak difficult truth. I think we need to go to war in prayer and fasting for folks. And when the Lord opens the door to speak truth, it shouldn't be half truth. It should be the full difficult truth, even if it offends the person. 1 Corinthians 6, these people who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom, and such were some of you, but you've been washed and cleansed, right? You've been justified. So there is a way out by repentance and faith and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. Praise the Lord. Okay. I think that answers the question a little bit. I, I suppose the part of the question that I feel like still needs to be answered is reaching out to the queer community. Like, how likely do you think it's going to be? That someone who is so heavily invested in the gay lifestyle is not only going to be regularly attending a family-based megachurch while also still being loved and to a degree accepted by the people around them who attend that church. Yes, I would say it's a long way out of a gay lifestyle. I think it's a matter of planting seeds with people, like I said, going to war and prayer and fasting, speaking difficult truths when the Lord opens the door. And I think being really patient, I think it can take a long time. In my situation, it's very sad to say, but I had to hit rock bottom. I really did. I had to come to the end of myself where there was literally no way out. Like, do you want to live one more day? Like, you must holler uncle. Like, Satan kind of has you down and 
I had followed him so, so far down the path of destruction that I had given my life over to him. And it was just a matter of time till I was another quiet funeral. And I think sadly, 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 I think many people in my situation have to come to the end of themselves where they feel like I don't have any other option. I can't just try to be a good person or, or walk away from this. There's no other way out. Yeah, I think for myself, and this is just a thought that's come to mind, here in Canada, we have this denomination called the United Church. It's a fairly progressive, openly affirming denomination. It's probably one of the biggest proponents of homosexuality in our Christian faith here in this nation of Canada. And yet, in spite of being so welcoming and inclusive, membership has gone down from 2.5 million members, I believe in 1996, down to 1.5 million members in 2016. So a loss of like almost a million members. And I, I don't know if it's necessarily worth it to sacrifice that proportion of your congregation just so that you can bring in people who are LGBT. And speaking as someone who has attended a few United Church services, I have the feeling that a lot of the time, the message that they preach, it's definitely a watered down version of the gospel. And there's a part of me that kind of feels like, okay, I just wish that this denomination would just die. Because aside from providing food bank services, it doesn't really feel like they're doing a whole lot of good for the spiritual health of our nation. But what's coming to mind is what if the purpose of these progressive affirming congregations isn't so that members of the LGBT community can start attending them and be members for life? What if the idea is to act as some sort of gateway so that people of the LGBT community can go to these churches, maybe for like a couple of years, eventually realize, oh, wait, theology isn't actually that deep and then go a little bit more beyond their own comfort zone in order to go to a church that is more theologically sturdy at the cost of being a little less affirming. And I kind of wanted to hear your thoughts on that. I do have thoughts. on. <laughs> I think the Lord works through all of our errors and sins and, and everything. I guess if I'm thinking about that church, and I don't want to single them out and point at them, but just as an example... Does that justify them stepping away from the word of God, becoming a community center pretty much is, sounds like is what it's become. So they've turned their back on the Lord. The Lord's knocking at the door. They won't let him in kind of thing, right? Because they've become a business. They've decided we'll probably generate more money. Maybe not that church, but churches like that in general have basically decided at some point our numbers have gone down. People aren't coming. Let's bring in a more exciting band and change the message and that kind of stuff, make it a little bit more like a concert, and then we can generate more revenue. And in doing so, they've stepped away from the Word of God. I'm not hardcore legalist on certain kinds of music and that sort of thing, but I really am clear. I'm very passionate about the, the gospel message needs to be preached in full, the full counsel of God, not just part of the message to make people happy. We're to please God and not man. So if we're not servants of God, if we wander over here and make a community center, we may as well not call it a church anymore. Can the Lord work through those errors and those sins, those mistakes? Yeah, 
he can because he does a lot in this fallen world, but I don't think that justifies churches leaving the Word of God, leaving the Lord, their first love. I don't think it's necessarily because they're wanting to expand their revenue. I think there's a genuine desire for inclusion and diversity within the body of the church. But I I think at the same time, it's being done without the realization that inclusion has its limits. You are not going to be so inclusive that you can include someone in your congregation who is homosexual, as well as including someone who is homophobic. Otherwise, it's going to self-destruct down the line. Gay is not an identity like African, American, African, Canadian, I guess that's what you would call them in Canada, right? Gay is not a valid identity like a minority ethnic group. It's really not. It's sin. So we're categorizing ourselves according to the sin that we have a tendency toward. So that's what makes it not valid diversity and inclusion kind of thing. But that's a cultural thing that, that the corporations in the U.S. now are doing. They're favoring diversity and inclusion. And then it sounds amazing when you first hear it. It sounds like, wow, finally, you know, finally things will be made right. There'll be justice and that sort of thing. But then when you look at what's going on underneath that umbrella, it's like, so the LGBT agenda. So people are being brought in and encouraged to follow the path of destruction. In my case, I think that's the path I almost followed to my death. So I'm going to come in, I'm going to promote that and encourage people and cheer them on to applaud them as they go to their death. No. So it's not a valid lifestyle. It's not like an ethnic minority. It's sin, like a group of liars. And we say, these people are all following their tendency to lie or a group of drunks. These people are all going to the bar every night and drinking themselves to death. Let's promote them in our organization as part of our diversity and inclusion. It doesn't make sense. Or a group of autistic people who are just following their tendency to say and do inappropriate things, and therefore we have to go and to promote but, them. But that's not sin. Okay. Like, so if I were to go and act in a manner that's socially inappropriate, that's not sin but someone who is identifying as gay, that's sin on their part. We covered already that temptation toward the same sex is not sin. Even Christ was tempted to sin yet without sin, right? So temptation is not sin. But if I go out and have pride in my gay lifestyle and I'm having sex with men, and then I want you, I want you to come and applaud me and support me and promote me in my company and have a church specifically to applaud my lust and my perverted desires. No, that's ridiculous. The Bible says it's sin. To follow that is sin. It doesn't matter what you and I think about it. It doesn't matter if the entire earth thinks that it's not sin. God says it's sin. He created us, and he will judge us one day. Autism is not sin. It's not the same. Autism is not sin, but acting socially inappropriate because of one's autism. Where does that fall in terms of sin? I don't know your specific situation, but I think you're saying that it's something you don't have control over, right? Sometimes, yeah. Sometimes I'm just like, well, screw it. I'm going to be socially inappropriate anyways because it brings me gratification. Sometimes it's just me being an idiot and saying things that I didn't realize were inappropriate until after I've said them. So it's sort of a mixture of both. I don't think that's the same in any way as what we were talking about. Okay. So how would you respond to someone who says, well, being gay, it's not just 
my actions. It's not just a behavior. It's an inherent part of who I am. It's not something that I can change. And because like when we're talking about African-Americans or African-Canadians, of course, they're not going to be able to change who they are. They're not going to be able to easily change their skin color. So genuine diversity, right? Yeah. Because it's not, it's not something that can be changed. It's nothing related to sin. It's just what it is. It's who someone is. It's genuine identity. But this is not genuine identity when you're talking about LGBT. It's a perversion of God's design. I want to go and have sex with the same sex. It doesn't matter what, if I think it's identity or not. God is the final authority. And I think we forget that. We, we make gods of ourselves. Well, what if, what if I'm convinced of this or that? It doesn't matter, right? We can have patience with one another as we're trying to communicate the truth of what the Bible says. But ultimately, the Lord is the final authority. It, it doesn't matter if the entire earth's population thinks that it's not sin. It's still sin. It's not up to you. It's not doesn't have anything to do with how many people have been in a gay lifestyle or left a gay lifestyle, went back, and how many pastors have fallen into a gay lifestyle or anything. It doesn't matter. None of it matters. The only thing that matters is God says it's sin. And whatever he says is right, because he's the one who created us and died for us and loves us and will judge us one day. He's the final say. Okay. At this point, I have the feeling that my audience they're either going to feel really convicted, they're going to feel really aligned with truth, or they're just going to be extremely angry. And they might throw out <laughs> accusations towards you. And so if I'm that angry listener, the accusations that I'd be throwing out to you right now, it would be something like, you're just a bisexual in denial. You were never gay. You were never truly gay to begin with. You're not actually living a fulfilling life because you're just repressing who you are, and it's causing problems for you in your own personal life. How would you respond to accusations like those? I don't mind that. I mentioned already that I don't believe in a gay identity. I really don't. I believe that God created man and woman and anything else is a perversion. So bisexual, what I'm saying at the core here is I am not my attraction. A person is not their temptation. I wake up every day, I'm tempted to lie, I'm not a liar unless I follow that. I wake up every day, I want a beer, I'm not a drunk unless I follow that and live like that, right? So if I wake up every day and I'm attracted to woman and man both, but I'm not acting on that, I don't believe in a bisexual identity. It's not a valid identity. Maybe I've been twisted through whatever's happened. The enemy got into me when I was a young kid or something and and twisted something through my feelings of inadequacy. I don't know what could possibly happen. I don't really get into a lot of psychology, but I know it's a spiritual war and the enemy gets in however he can to attack people and twist what the Lord created to be wonderful and a blessing. So you can call me bisexual. That doesn't matter. I mentioned before, starting at 12 years old, I had attraction to men and no significant attraction to a woman. In my older life, through talking with others and my own experience, I've seen that biblically, I don't buy into the the fact that there's a gay identity. It's, It's just, it's a false identity. It's a perversion of God's design. I believe that any man can operate and function with a woman. Is it as seamless and natural as it would be under other circumstances or whatever? 
maybe not, but because of what's happened earlier in life and choices that he's made and maybe through development and things that where the enemy's gotten through, it may be more difficult, but a man can function with a woman. I don't believe that that's something that's been taken away and God's created someone to be gay and they don't have a choice. I don't believe that. And in response to the accusation that you're just repressing a part of yourself when you could just be embracing who you really are and living a more fulfilling life, how would you respond to that? Christianity, true faith in Christ is self-denial. It's denial for something better, right? He who does not take up his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. So every Christian doesn't have anything to do with homosexuality or anything. Every Christian has worldly desires, wants to do things that God doesn't want them to do. That's our sinful nature. So we're to die daily to ourselves, take up our cross and follow Christ. It really is self-denial. The unbeliever looks at that. Maybe they don't believe there is a God to begin with. If they do believe a God, like the demons believe in God and tremble, right? But they're not saved, obviously. But they might believe in God, but they don't believe, obviously, that Jesus is who he says he is. He's the son of God and creator of all and author and finisher of our faith, that he's the savior of all, died on the cross and rose again. So they would think that somebody like me is psychotic, who would say that I have a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. He's alive. I hear from him, I, I read the Bible and pray, and he guides my life. People like you and me, an unbeliever would say, that's psychosis. That's the definition of psychosis. You're completely insane. So naturally, they don't believe that anybody could be fulfilled. What do you mean? It looks like it's very unhealthy self-denial because they don't believe you're getting anything in return. But you and I know he's the bread of life that we will be satisfied and truly fulfilled, have enduring satisfaction and true peace and joy that rises above the circumstances if we follow him. So it's self-denial in exchange for something better. Yeah, that makes sense. And I think it also stands as an interesting contrast to what I feel like parts of the gay lifestyle are about, where it's not really about self-denial, it's about self-fulfillment through self-indulgence. Yeah. Yeah. One more question that I want to ask before we wrap things up. You've mentioned that you've worked as a missionary in Cambodia. That is probably another fascinating story on its own that we don't have time to get through. But in your own life, as someone who is working as a missionary with a missionary mindset, how effective do you think that you've been administering to people in the LGBT community? And what would you say is your long-term vision for what you want to accomplish in that part of the world? Over here, it's a simple lifestyle, simple culture. It's a developing country, kind of a third world country, not too far from the equator. So everything's kind of open air, public for the most part. You go to the market and it's like no walls on the side of the market kind of thing. Although there are modern grocery stores now, but a lot of things are open air and it, sunny and, and nice. People want to know about foreigners and people tend to be kind and sweet. You get this kind of greeting, the prayer hands in front of the face and people tend to be kind and sweet and respectful of their elders. And it's maybe like the, the US or Canada was several generations ago, a little more traditional. The family unit's very strong. Family is kind of everything. People have a lot of kids. 
So it's a simple ministry. It's really focused on evangelism. Go to the, the market or the coffee shop or somewhere and the Lord typically leads me to someone or some kind of interaction along the way. And then, like I said, usually that starts with, where are you from? You're in my country, long way away from home. How'd you get here? And the Lord usually opens the, the door to share testimony there. If they're still open, then the gospel. Often that's just step one, kind of a seed planting, because Buddhism is by and large the religion here. Over 94% identify as Buddhist. When you approach someone who's LGBT, who identifies as LGBT and also identifies as Buddhist, it's kind of two big mountains to climb, right? It's two big identity kind of barriers. Like, I'm Cambodian, therefore I am Buddhist. I don't have a choice. It sounds like the LGBT would say. And then they say, well, I'm attracted to the same sex, therefore I am gay. So it's like, wow, it's a lot to come against, but the Lord can do miracles and had a couple folks come to church a couple times, some plug-ins through Facebook group that we have. I post scripture in Cambodian language every morning, and, and some are reading that. It's not easy. I've been over here since 2016 and really started LGBT witnessing, like beginning of 2017, late 2016. And then I was home for about 10 months for COVID time much, much more difficult in the U.S. to witness to the LGBT. They're very combative there. So I feel for Americans and Canadians trying to reach out to the LGBT. Like I said here, they're more kind and, and graceful about it. I think the most impact that I've seen by the Lord's grace is through online ministry, through testimony sharing and, and that sort of thing. There's an ex-gay ministry group and many, many groups actually online through Facebook. And so it can be part of those and share testimonies together and encourage one another. There are many people out there like me that the Lord's performed great miracles, people who were deeper in the lifestyle that had surgery, transgender gender reassignment surgeries and have since gone back to reverse the surgeries. Very powerful testimonies, praise the Lord. So um, yeah, it's it's a process and, and I've been trying to be faithful in planting the seeds and following up with folks. And I guess I'll let him be the judge of how much fruit has come from it. Yeah. So we're running out of time. It's been really great talking with you, getting to know you, getting to know a bit of your story. I'm really interested to see how my homosexual friends will react if I share this episode with them. They can feel free to attack me. I don't, I don't mind. Ask questions. <laughs> well, of course, you're in Cambodia. You're not going to be in any danger. But yeah, I've enjoyed this and it's been good to talk with you. Thank you for coming on and I'll see you guys later. Bye. Thank you for having me. God bless. This has been because we're not the same. The podcast hosted, produced, and edited by Nathan Raymond Ray. With special guest, Matthew Karchner. Thank you to Podmatch for allowing us the opportunity to meet and record this conversation. To listen to more episodes, you can follow us on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon Music, Verbal, iHeartRadio, or Podbean. You can also visit our Facebook page or our website, bwntscast.wordpress.com. If you're interested in coming on the show as a guest, feel free to reach out to us and we'll see about having you on. Thank you for listening.